0: If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Haggai, we'll be back into Haggai this week. And next week, we're going to focus on this topic, giving careful consideration. And we talked about last week the message of Haggai, this mainly to tell the people how to get their priorities straight. We looked at how we can apply that to our lives. They had been miraculously allowed to come back to their land to rebuild the temple. And we'll give you more details on that. And they were even financing this operation from a pagan king. Uh, However, they encountered resistance to the mission, so they quit working on the house of God, and they went to work on their own houses. In other words, they took the priority away from doing what God had called them to do, what he had sent them to do, what he had provided for them to do, and they started putting the priority into what they wanted to do. Now, we have to be very careful today that we don't allow ourselves to fall into that trap. The trap always is to do what is comfortable rather than to do what is called. And I want to challenge you today, I'm challenged by this text myself, to always, always, always obey the call and not obey comfort. Comfort will talk you out of doing things that you were called to do. Comfort will talk you into taking days off, taking opportunities for granted. Comfort is the enemy. Comfort leads to complacency, and complacency is the enemy of contentment contentment is knowing you're in the purpose of God, knowing you're in the will of God, knowing you're in obedience to God, and living that out in everything that you do. They encountered resistance. I'm here to tell you that if you have not encountered resistance thus far in trying to accomplish the things that God has called you to do, give it a minute. Just give it a minute. Uh Two weeks ago, I talked on a Wednesday night about how God had been moving among the people in Acts 16, how God had been using Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, uh, all of the, the missionaries that were going on in that time. God had been using them powerfully, and what we see is when God moves powerfully, the enemy comes alive he just comes he he gets uh, invigorated and he comes in and he tries to take apart what god's doing he tries to cause dissension and and problems and distractions and 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 we have to be prepared for it they were not they i guess uh, i don't know how they got to this mindset after 70 years in exile but i guess they thought okay, we're going to go back and we're going to rebuild the temple and everything's going to be perfect and we're never going to have any problems. We're never going to have any uh, people come against us. We're never going to have any doubts or fears. That's just simply not how this world works. Take note here. Our adversary doesn't care about us building our kingdom with a little K. You can build all the little K kingdom that you want to build and he will be happy to allow you to do it. But He doesn't want you to participate in the building of God's kingdom, Big K. When you start participating in Big K kingdom activities, you get on the radar of Big Red. You get on the radar of our adversary. By the way, you also get on the radar of your flesh. If you're not careful, your flesh will do the work that Satan himself would like to be done. Again, that's that comfort monster that comes in and tries to get you to turn aside from the mission that God has put you on and only do the things that you feel like doing. Today, I want to look at the commands that God gives them after this priority discussion in verses 1 through 6. And I want us to talk about what those priority problems result in and what He commands them to do. And then next week in part 2, we're going to see the result of their lack of obedience, and then their response to God's correction. So if you would, let's stand. I know we just sat down, but what an amazing time of worship. It's good to have Grayson back. Amen? Yes. Does a great job. Our worship team, there's there's just second to none. I could not be more thankful for the effort that he and all those who support our worship ministry put in each week. Before we read this morning, I also want to take this just one second to say thank you, veterans. Uh, we we are able... It, it's, It's not... Uh, It's not lost on me that we get to gather today and worship in freedom primarily because there were men and women over the years who have been willing to stand in the gap for our freedoms. Thank you, veterans. We appreciate you. Let's turn our attention to the text now. Haggai chapter 1, and let's back up and look at verse 6. So so in verse 5, he uses this phrase. We mentioned it last week. Think carefully about your ways. And then in verse 6, he tells them, You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. So this is the indictment against the people. There's a lack of contentment. They are complacent in their comfort. They're not content in doing the mission that God has given them to do. Verse 7, He says this again. The Lord of armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. Listen, anytime God repeats something, you better pay attention. When he repeats something within a couple of verses, you really better dial in because he's about to put the smack down. And that's what he does here. He tells him in verse 8, here's the mission. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house. What house? The house. Not a house, not my house, not their house. He says build the house. He's talking about the temple, His house. And here's his promise. And I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, speak today through your word, through your flawed servant, for the glory of your son Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Two verses, two points. Simply today, I want us to look at what he says here. Number one, he says, put your heart on your roads." Now now you're saying that's not what he said. What he said in the text, think carefully about your ways. The most literal translation of that from the Hebrew is "Put your heart on your road." You could also say, set your heart upon your ways." This was an idiomatic figure of speech used in the Hebrew, and they would have known what it meant. It would be like us saying, "Hey, you better get your mind right. Hey, you better dial in here, get focused. Hey, hey, right here, pay attention. He's he's telling them, he's challenging them to get out of their comfort and to return to what he had commanded. Get out of their comfort and get back to the mission that he had put them on. He he tells them this because they had gotten so wrapped up in their busy lives, they had forgotten what was most important. They had begun to put comfort ahead of calling. Now, I I love these little statistics like this. An average bullet travels between 500 and 1,000 miles per hour. Did you know that? Some of y'all did. Listen, uh, some of these hunters in here, I know that Neil knows every, every statistic on every round of ammunition that he shoots. He knows how far it drops in 50 yards and 100 yards and, and the feet per second and all those kind of things. That's an amazing thing to me to think about something going 500 to 1,000 miles an hour. Okay? But, an, <clears throat> excuse me, an F-22 Raptor is capable of flying at speeds of 1,200 to 1,500 miles per hour. So think about this. An F-22 Raptor can go triple the speed of slower-end bullets. That means that that F-22 travels at 20 to 25 miles per minute. That's quickness. <coughs> Excuse me. If you're going 25 miles a minute, how long does it take you to get really bad out of sorts, Really, really far off track? Uh, When I'm watching my GPS, if I'm driving 60 miles an hour, I've got time to make corrections if I get off, uh, you know, take a wrong turn or take the wrong exit. But if I'm traveling 25 miles a minute, I'm going to be way past my, my destination before I figure out that I've gotten off course. That's why we have to pay attention because I'm here to tell you, 1,500 miles an hour is fast, but it's still not as fast as life moves. Some of y'all have not lived long enough to appreciate that. The older I get, the more I realize how fast time actually moves. I I was shook this morning when I I looked on stage when I came in, and and my daughter is standing next to Allie Walters singing on Praise Team. Uh, Allie was younger than Lainey is now when we got here. And now she's a mom and a wife, and it, it blew my mind. It feels like Lainey was a toddler when we got here. If you ask Grayson, she was. Grayson has it in his mind that when she got here, she was like four. That's not—that's not how old she was. But but I'm telling you, the older I get, the, listen, it seems like the last ten years have been like that. It just seems like it's—it seems like it's lightning fast. If we don't pay attention to the way we live, the speed of our modern lives will cause us to travel a very long way in the wrong direction. We have got to take a minute. We've just got to take a breath once in a while and examine what's going on. I think sometimes we miss the goodness of God because we're so busy trying to keep up with the pace of life. We're so focused on the next. Can I just tell you, I did that. When I, when I got out, I did a year of junior college. My grades were not great. I was working nights trying to pay for school. My, my grades were, were not good and I knew I was not living a sustainable life. I could not continue the rate that I was going. And so I went in the military, and I spent four years in the Navy. And I thought I had plenty of time in those four years to do some things. And I got complacent, and I let time get away from me. And so then I got back out, and I hurried and got through with my degree. And rather than really contemplate what God was doing, rather than, than really try to try to you know, see what the best move was, I just immediately left and jumped into the workforce and I didn't, I didn't give any thought to anything other than I've got to hurry, I've got to hurry, life's passing me by, I've got to hurry. And now that I'm 51, I start looking back and going, man, why was I in such a hurry? And, and, and it's much more important that we think about that when it comes to living for Christ. I was just living for me, and I should have paused, I should have taken more time. Now that I'm living for Christ, I really want to kind of marinate in what God is doing in each moment. I don't want to miss opportunities. I don't want to miss blessings. I don't want to miss lessons. I want to make sure that I'm soaking in all that God is gifting me with in our modern life. The great philosopher Socrates said this, the unexamined life is not worth living. That's, that's deep. The unexamined life is not worth living. How many of you don't raise your hand? How many of you know people who you, you in your heart you think they're not examining their life? They're not living an examined life. They're living a hurried life or or maybe an unfocused life, an unregulated life. We must not be those people because we have been called by God for a mission, for a ministry. Paul would say it this way in Philippians 4. We alluded to this last week. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. That would be good for us. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Listen, that's more valuable than the fountain of youth or the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We need to lean in and listen to this. He has found the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. He, this is the secret that's per, pervasive through any circumstance of life. You ready? I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Not win the big game, not, not lift a, 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 a mountain. No, just to find contentment to, to whether you've got a lot or whether you've got a little, whether you feel good or whether you feel bad, whether you have a great report from the doctor or a dismal report from the doctor, whether you were in a time of birth or you were in a time of death, I have learned to do anything and everything to withstand whatever the enemy throws against me, to accomplish the purposes that God has given me I have learned to do that because it is the strength of Christ living in me that allows me to do whatever He's called me to do. You don't have to do it in your own strength. You don't, you're not responsible for the response of someone else when you share the gospel. You are responsible for being in obedience to what God has called you to do in every circumstance and every situation. I am convinced that if we would just get a hold of that verse, if we would just understand that we can do anything and everything through Christ who gives us strength, that it would take a lot of pressure off of us. And it would allow us to be much more fruitful and productive in the things that we are trying to accomplish on this earth. Put your heart on your roads. Number two, I will preface this by also giving you this caveat. I, I am from Florella. And so sometimes, sometimes the neck comes out. Some some it just, mad. it just sometimes it just it just comes out. It just happens. And so if I say haggai instead of Haggai, blame the neck, mind your business, let's move on. If you want to hear the literal Hebrew pronunciation, is Haggai. Haggai, I can't say that very much. I've got very limited throat left from this morning. I yelled a little bit at the first service. Haggai, I, I I'm not going to say it that way every time. I'll mess it up worse than Haggai. So we're going to try to say Haggai. Now, said all that so that you see, before I give you the second point, the neck came out. So here's the second point. Look at verse 8. Go, get it, and get her done. I apologize. That's the best way that I can internalize it and understand. What does he command them to do? Look at verse 8. Go up into the hills, bring down the lumber, and build the house. Go, get it, and get her done. He gives them three commands in the form of three imperatives. He says, go up, number one, into the hills. Number two, bring down the lumber. And number three, get her done, build the house. What he's saying is stop talking about it and start being about it. There's a time to stop thinking and talking about what you are going to do and start actually doing something. You ever had anybody that was like that in your life? that was all hat and no cattle? All sizzle, no steak? He's usually that guy will get you in trouble. You know what I'm talking about? He's that guy that, that somebody says something to you and then the guy walks off. He's like, i tell you what, he would have talked to me that way. <laughs> God, you, I'd have told him something. Well, go tell him. There ain't nothing between you and him, but air an opportunity to chase him down. That big old rascal don't move that fast. Go tell him what you think of it. We have got to be people that get things done, not who talk about getting things done. Not woulda, shoulda, coulda people. We've got to be doers of the word, not hearers only. The great William Carey had a motto, and it is this Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, which we're good at. <laughs> Amen. I think we're much better at the first part of this motto than the second part. Expect great things from God. We want a cosmic butler. We want a God who who jumps when we tell him to jump, who comes when we tell him to come, who who stops when we tell him to stop, who gives what we want. We don't want a God that we are subservient to. We want a God who serves us. Uh, Expect great things from God, but then we need to get ourselves in line with the second half. Attempt great things for God. I'm afraid sometimes we won't attempt anything for God, but we still want great things from God. See, they were waiting for a sign to resume building. The sign was they were there. The sign was given when they were miraculously allowed to return from exile back to their homeland and equipped and empowered to do what God had commanded them to do. I told you we were going to talk a bit more about how amazing and how miraculous this was. Isaiah wrote some 150 years before King Cyrus was around. All right, Let, don't miss this. King Cyrus, who released the Jews and sent them back to allow them to rebuild, and we're going to read that in Ezra 1 in just a minute. Isaiah wrote about 150 years before King Cyrus. Listen to what Isaiah said. Isaiah 44 we're not going to read the whole passage, but 24 through, four, through 28. But just listen to this. This is what the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, says. I am the Lord who made everything, who stretched out the heavens by myself, who alone spread out the earth. Skip down to 28. Who says to Cyrus, how many years before? 150. Who says to Cyrus, my shepherd, he will fulfill all my pleasure. And he says to Jerusalem, she will be rebuilt And of the temple, its foundation will be laid. Then in verse 13 of the next chapter, Isaiah 45, he says, I have stirred him up in righteousness and will level all roads for him. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, not a price or a bribe, says the Lord of armies. 150 years before King Cyrus, Isaiah, speaking from what the Lord had told him to write, says... King Cyrus is going to get this done. He's going to get my people free. He's going to send them back, and it will get accomplished. That's what the Lord had said. Listen to Ezra, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Listen to the fulfillment of the promises God had made through the prophet Isaiah. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, we didn't even read that one, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you, may, be, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem in Judea, Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, and livestock, Along with the free will offering of the house of God in Jerusalem. That's what the pagan king wrote in an edict to allow them to be free and to go back and to rebuild the temple. They were looking for a sign. Some of us are looking for a sign. I wonder if God wants me to share the gospel with this person. I'm going to be real helpful for you today, okay? All of you looking for a sign as to whether or not God wants you to share the gospel. I'll be your sign. Yes, he does. Some of you are wondering if God wants you to be faithful in your giving. Some of you are looking at your checking account or your bank account, your 401k, and the economy going, man, I just don't know if I can trust the Lord with my money. I'm your sign. Yes, you can. Some of you are wondering, hey, should I hold my kids accountable? Should I, should I, you know, do the things that God has called me to do regardless of what it costs me? There, there's all kinds of different questions that you may have in your life, and you may be asking yourself, what should I do? Should I be, God, give me a sign. Hello. Here's your sign. Yes, if you woke up with a heartbeat this morning, God has you on mission. God has a purpose for your life. He promises that He will be pleased with their work and glorified by their work, but that cannot happen until they get the work done. And the same could be said for us. God will be pleased with your work and glorified by your work, but that can't happen until you get the work done. I know people who are, what I call them is the Iota people. Anybody know any Iota people? Here's the Iota people. Man, I need to get up. Anybody ever done that? Tell the truth. That alarm goes off and you reach over and hit it and you lay there and look at the clock and go, man, I need to get up. And then you slide back off into dreamland and you end up late for school or late for work. You see, I ought to get up doesn't get you on, where you're supposed to be on time. I need to be a better parent. I need to be a better parent. Doesn't get doesn't change how your kids are doing. I need to start exercising and eating better. I need to start doesn't make you healthier or thinner. I need to start reading my Bible doesn't get you closer to God. I need to give my life to Christ doesn't keep you out of hell. I need to get involved in the church doesn't get you discipled. These are the I oughta people. Here's what I'll tell you. In our vernacular, when I I was in the Navy, uh, I had buddies that were from up north, and they would always be confused by my vernacular, things that I would say. Hey, Cobb, you always say you're fixing to do something. What's broken? What, What exactly are you fixing? Well, I'm not fixing anything. It's just what we say down in the South. I'm fixing to get up and go. I'm, I'm fixing to get me another cup of coffee. I'm fixing to... What are you? What, what's broken? What are you fixing? Here's what I'll tell you. Fixing to never actually fixed anything. Don't be an auto, auto person. You know, I ought to quit looking at this on the internet. You know, I ought to quit thinking these negative thoughts. You know, I, I, I ought to stop saying negative things about people. You know, I ought to go apologize to that person that I know I have wronged. I ought to go to that person who has wronged me and let them know that they've wronged me and try to make amends and try to get over this bitterness that I've got. I ought to get closer to Christ. I ought to read my Bible more. I ought to pray more. I ought to be a better parent. I ought to be a better spouse. I ought to be a better kid. I ought to do better in school. I ought to study more. Stop talking about it and start being about it. Don't be an I oughta person. God lays out in verse 8 the job He's given His people that Haggai will address. He says, go up into the hills, bring down the lumber, and build the house. He gives directives with directions, and He did the same thing in Matthew 28, 18-20. He says, all authority has been given to me under heaven. Therefore, go make disciples. Go where? Go! Some of y'all need to quit trying to twist God's arm and get Him to give you specifics and start getting to work. I don't know where God's sending me. Did He send you to Walmart? Go make disciples on your way. I don't know. Maybe God's called him into missions. Maybe He is. Listen, if you want to be a missionary and you want to share the gospel in your home, your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, miss me with Mr. Missions, okay? God is calling you to missions. He's calling all of us to Missions. Next door missions, in-home missions, in-school missions, in-cubicle missions. Get to work. Get social media mission minded. I used to get frustrated. I'd see people want to go on mission trips around the world. I'm like, you ain't shared the gospel in Mobile. Why do you have to go to Venezuela? Well, I just feel the Lord's called me to Venezuela. No, you just think it's sexier to get on a plane and fly somewhere. If you won't share the gospel with your neighbor, stop trying to go share it with everybody else. Share the gospel. Go ye therefore. That's the command. That's the directive. The directions are Judea, Samaria, the othermost parts of the world. Eventually you get there, but get busy in your Jerusalem. Here's the question If God was furious with his children then because they weren't doing the job he sent them to do, how do you think it's going to go for his children now if we're not doing the job he sent us to do? God didn't tell you to come here to Mobile and build a temple. He told you to go make disciples. By the way, that's a lot harder work than building a temple. You're going to get just as much, if not more, of the adversary coming against you if you're trying to accomplish that. That doesn't change the mission. That doesn't change what God has called you, clearly commanded you to do. Again, I say it all the time. I'm going to to be a broken record. I'm going to repeat it again today. He has told us three things in Scripture that are unequivocal. They are not deniable. They are not confusing. They're not mysterious. He has given you three things to do love God, love people, make disciples. The great commandment, the great commission, you can hear it in three things stop trying to overcomplicate it, stop trying to make it something that's not. Love God, love people, make disciples. That's it. That's your job. If he was mad at them for not rebuilding the temple, which was their mission, how mad is he going to be at us for not loving God, loving people, and making disciples? Y'all know I'm a visual learner, so I'm going to try to land the plane here with a visual illustration. Let's think about cake. As you can look at me, I do more than think about cake. Let's think about cake. Matter of fact, let's think about... Uh, our Donna overheard somebody in the first service when, when I, I talked about this say, ooh, the Holy Grail. That'll make more sense in a minute. Let, let's think about April's pound cake. The world famous April's pound cake. I believe what Rick Burgess said was it's like angels came down from heaven and made a pound cake. How about this? I'm going to get the ingredients for the pound cake. Okay. And by the way, I'm not giving you all of it, so miss me with that. She's not going to have time to send you the recipe today either. Flour, sugar, eggs, vanilla. I know those four things are in it, all right? There's other little secret ingredients, you know, 17 herbs and spices and all that. But I know those four things, flour, sugar, eggs, and vanilla. So let's say that I get a, a cup of sugar, a cup of flour, couple of eggs and a couple of teaspoons of vanilla, and I bring them up here, and, and I come to you, and I say, hey, you want some of April's pancake? And, and I give you all those ingredients and just tell you have at it. Anybody want to do that? Anybody want to put a, get a mouthful of sugar and flour? Some of y'all, you'd probably try it because you're just nuts. How about, how about get a couple, just bust them eggs and just pop them in your mouth. Anybody want to do that? Salmonella to you, okay? How about, have you ever tried to drink any vanilla extract? If you have some, go home, get you a big old teaspoon of it and toss it in. It'll it'll make your hair curly. (laughs) Nobody wants that. All right, well, what if, okay, taken separately, of course, pastor, that's not good. But let's put them all in a bowl and let's mix them all together. You still want to get a big spoonful of that? Like, I don't think you do. Here's the thing. A cake isn't a cake, and it isn't ready to be enjoyed until it is beaten, mixed, and baked. You've got to have the ingredients. You've got to have the right ingredients. But but it's not good to eat until it's been beaten, mixed, and baked. Some of us want to be the cake, but we don't want to go through the mixing, beating, and baking. We just want to have our cake. God has given you all the ingredients for you to accomplish what He has for you to do. But those raw materials that he has gifted you with require dedicated obedience, a dutiful prayer life, diligent Bible study, and direct discipleship. But see, that's where we get lost sometimes. Yeah, but I'm not in for all that. That sounds like a lot of work. I don't want to do all that. I just want the cake. I've watched her bake these cakes, y'all. It's, it's a labor of love. There, there's a lot. Some of you ladies that have baked, it's not, it's not simple. You got that big bowl, beady, mixy thing of my job that, that rolls around and, and you got and when she gets done put with all the ingredients and getting them all mixed together, somebody's gotta clean that bowl. And that, I feel like that's where God has called me at this time. <laughs> but see, God has given you all of those ingredients, but each of those ingredients to its own would be disgusting to try to eat. But with dedicated obedience, a dutiful prayer life, diligent Bible study, and direct discipleship, you can turn out like the pound cake. By the way, If I took the top off of that, somebody in here would pass out. (laughs) Just the aroma. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything... For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. He wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 1 and 2. These are the four generations of discipleship. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here's the directive. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is what he's called us to do. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Even once we have the right ingredients, it may require some additional agitation and applied heat through the trials of life. Don't be misled. God knows that. God has provided for that. Listen to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. You have to get, that maturity has to come out. Your your testing of your faith produces the endurance and you are going to need endurance if you're going to make it through this life if you're going to make it through to the other side if you're going to do something big for king jesus if you're going to be obedient to what he has called you to do and you're going to take advantage of the opportunities that he has set before you you got to let endurance have its full effect you don't get mature without developing endurance. And neither one of those happen, neither one of those two things happen without going through some trials, some mixing, some beating, some baking. Some of us have got to get in the heat. We've got to stay the course and serve the Lord faithfully instead of letting the distractions of this life take our focus off of what he has for us. Here's what I'm here to tell you: you've got to let him finish the cake. He has given you some good raw ingredients. He has given you his word to study. He has given you a church family to love and encourage you, to disciple you. He has given you a staff to pray for you and prepare things for you to help you grow in your faith. He has given you friends that will come alongside you and help you walk the road that He has commanded you to walk, to live in obedience to the call that He has put on your life. But sometimes you have got to stop rejecting the trials, stop rejecting the punishment, stop rejecting the fire, and just let God do His work to complete what He wants to do in you. Your raw ingredients are no good by themselves, but if you will allow the Lord to mix them, beat them, and bake them, you could become this cake. You could turn out to be something with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You could turn out to be something that is tasty and delicious to God, where He would be pleased with your life. I want you to look at this cake. It's not perfect, there are some little places where there's some broken pieces some fractures there's some there's a little piece that fell off and i took care of that before we brought it up here today it's not perfect and you won't be either but if you will trust the lord through every circumstance every situation if you would just fix your eyes upon jesus the author and finisher of your faith who for the joy set before him Embraced suffering and death so that you could have eternal life. God can do some amazing things in and through and for you, but you've got to let Him finish the cake. You've got to stay the course. You can't let these momentary light afflictions, as Paul talks about them, get your eyes off the incomparable eternal weight of glory. You've got to stay the course. The invitation today is just simply this. I want you to examine your priorities once again. And the the title, Give Careful Consideration. Today I want you to give careful consideration to these three things. Number one, have you surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? If you don't know Christ, you're never going to be a cake. You're going to get baked, but you're never going to be a cake. You're never going to be something pleasing to God. You're never going to be something that is a sweet aroma. You are just going to be a lost person who dies and goes to hell. You've got to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Number two, are you fully surrendered in all aspects of your life? If you claim Christ, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have submitted yourself, surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, are you fully surrendered in every aspect of your life? Here's what sometimes we'll do. Yes, I'm surrendered to the Lord, but but not my checkbook. I I don't trust God with my checkbook. I'm worried about my finances and I'm worried about this economy and I'm worried about my retirement. You are not fully submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Some of us, we don't want to sacrifice our calendar. We want to work around our own things that we like to do and not work around what God has called us to do. Sometimes we are more surrendered to politics than we are to the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we are more surrendered to, maybe you don't want to give God your internet browser. Maybe you don't want to give God your social media searches. Maybe you don't want to give God your TikTok or your Snapchat. Maybe you don't want to give God full control. I want you to hear me this morning as clearly as I can say this. Fully surrendered or not surrendered. You better get in or get out. There's no time for compromisers. There's no time for halfway Christians. You need to sell out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Fully surrender to His Lordship and whatever He calls you to do. And then finally, lastly... Are you seeking the Lord's will for your life? If you have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, and if you are fully surrendered in every aspect of your life, are you actively seeking the Lord's will for your life? Here's the thing young people, high schoolers, middle schoolers, college students, man, I wish that I had some kind of like divine insights on what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to go and who you're supposed to marry and where you're supposed to live. I don't. Some of you middle-aged folks, you're, you're, you're looking towards retirement now and you're, you're trying to figure out what that looks like. I, I wish I could give you something that says clearly, oh, I know exactly where God wants you to be and how He wants you to serve and, and, and I, know, I know all the different ways that God wants to use you. I, I, I don't. Our senior adults, some of y'all are, are thinking about, you know, the, the closing of this chapter and, and what, your, what your, you know, end of life is going to be. And I, I wish I could tell you how all that's going to go. We spent Saturday afternoon at a wedding, a beautiful service, the beginning of two becoming one, and, and it was awesome. And we left there and went over and saw Miss Johnny in, in hospice, and she's getting near the end of her journey, and it's, it's heartbreaking. I don't have all the answers. But there's a book. Here's what I have learned. The more I study this book, the less I'm concerned with my immediate future and the more I'm concerned with honoring whatever God wants me to do. The more I study this book, the less of me I see and the more of Jesus I want to be. But you got to be fully surrendered. You can't hold anything back. If you want to be the cake, You got to let God do the work with those ingredients he's put in you and you got to let him finish the baking would you stand with me again I've I've set out for you what the invitation time is going to be you just need to decide if you're going to respond in obedience if you don't know Christ and you need to surrender to him you can come forward today and you can say hey I want to make Jesus Lord of my life I want to recognize his authority I want to submit myself to his lordship I want to follow Jesus all the days of my life Maybe you're here and you've been a Christian. You know you've professed a faith and you were walking with the Lord, but you've your relationship with Christ has grown cold. You've allowed problems and, and, and distractions to pull you away from Him. And you say today, Pastor, I want to make today a pivot point in my life where today I follow Jesus more strongly than I ever have. I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. You can do that today. If you need to join our church, move your letter, you can do all that stuff today. But specifically today, I want you to give careful consideration to what has God called you to do? If you are a professing follower of Jesus, how is God manifesting Himself in your life? How are you living a life that honors Him? Are you surrendered? Are you fully surrendered in every aspect? And then are you seeking the Lord's will for your life? I'm going to say a brief prayer. If you need to come and pray, you need to come and make a. Book a profession of faith or join join the church, all that stuff is fine. But right there where you are, I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about where you're appointing your life and ask yourself, am I lined up with what Christ would have for me to do? Am I fully surrendered to serve Him in whatever aspect of my life He wants to use me? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Uh, Lord, I don't deserve what You did for me, but You called me out of my sin and my death and my darkness and You have given me a life that I could never have hoped for. What a blessing it is to serve you, King Jesus. God, I pray that you would do that for someone here today. I pray that if there's someone here today without Christ, that you would draw them and call them and they would come to faith. God, if there's people here today that are that are uh, complacent in their walk with Christ, I pray that today would be a day of stirring, a day of rededication and repurposing. God, you told the people in Haggai's day to build the temple. And now, Lord, you say that we are the temple. I pray you would help us to make the most of that. That glorious gift. Move in this service today, God, for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.